Imagine I had two basketballs and these two basketballs were best friends. And I asked you to take one of these basketballs and drive to Rogue River with it and put it right in front of the rooster out there. And I took my basketball and I set it right here on the stage and we had cameras looking at both basketballs about seven miles apart. And I looked at my basketball and I took it and I spun it at 50 revolutions per minute, counterclockwise. And the moment I spun this basketball, its friend basketball in Rogue River spun at the exact same RPM, but in the opposite direction. And the moment I stopped this basketball, that basketball stopped. What would you think? Witchcraft, burn him. If you're a physicist, you would say, that's how the world works. So if you know physics, there are two branches, really. There's Newtonian physics that governs the big stuff, suns and stars and galaxies and the universe-sized stuff. And then there's quantum physics, and it's the tiny stuff. And they're like in an MMA match with each other because the rules for the big stuff don't apply to the little stuff. They're exactly opposite. And that thing I just talked about was actually done. It was done in 1996 in Switzerland. So they took two quantum entangled particles. If you wonder what quantum entanglement is, think marriage. If you're single, you may not quantum entangle, okay? <laughs> so like marriage, the longer you're together, you start to act like each other and talk like each other and science has proven, you start to look like each other. It's why at some weddings, it's okay to cry. <laughs> okay, so these particles were married, right? And then they were separated and it was sent by fiber optic seven miles away. The moment this particle was spun, that particle spun. The moment this particle was stopped, that particle stopped. Faster than the speed of light. It goes against Einstein's theories that speed of light is the fastest thing. And guess what? We're now 24 years from that event. No one has a clue why. Why does it work? What happens? What's the force behind that? Mystery. Mystery. Matt? Why are you doing this to us? <laughs> I just want to study the Bible. <laughs> because we're introducing a new book. It's 2 Peter. We just finished 1 Peter. And in 2 Peter, he does physics. Check these out. Check these verses out. So 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. Do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is as one day. What is that? That's Einstein's theory of relativity. That time is relative, right? That you could be here traveling zero velocity. If somebody's traveling near the speed of light, man, their time disappears. So it's one day for you is a thousand years, right? It's theory of relativity. Then keep looking down, verse 10. 
But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavenly the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. This is 2,000 years ago. You know what he's talking about? Supernovas. You guys know what a supernova is? It's when a star explodes. And we might think the elections are the biggest thing in the world. Uh-uh, no way. The biggest event in the universe is a supernova exploding. If you were within a billion miles of a supernova, you would be disintegrated. Your atoms would literally be taken apart. Like it's a massive, it's God's 4th of July and it happens all the time. It's awesome. And then verse 13, but according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. A multiverse, right? Now I say this tongue in cheek, um, there's interesting, intriguing things in this book, no doubt. But more importantly, Peter talks about stuff in this book that's brilliant. He does a deep dive on the spirit world and your mind will be blown by it. He does a deep dive in events that are to come and your mind will be blown by it. He does a deep dive into the real world that we live in because the Bible is the most honest book ever. So here's what's happened. Peter wrote, first Peter, said, hey, I'm looking down the horizon and it looks like some bad stuff's coming. By second Peter, it had come. So this book was written when Rome was the lone superpower. And if you don't know Rome, Rome is a fascinating study in empire. Because in 200 BC, when it was formed, it was a republic. It was based on virtue. It was about family. It was about faith. It was founded on really solid, solid stuff. So you have these statesmen like Cato. We have the Cato Institute today, which is based on conservative values. That came from 200 BC Rome. But by the time, 200 years later, when Peter's around, Rome is crumbling. They have a megalomaniac named Nero who's on the throne. It's, it's going chaotic. Plagues are now ripping through cities and killing people. Economically, they're facing shortages of bread and people are now rioting. There's race problems, there's education problems, there's political corruptness. Sound familiar? Yeah. So now Peter is writing this epistle in response to all this kind of stuff. And what he's saying is this, out there there's not good news. Have you realized that? But in here, we have something to shout for joy for. And this is what Peter's gonna begin by saying. He's gonna begin by saying, listen, believer, you won. First thing he does in this epistle is, listen, believer, you won. Now, how does he say that? Check this out. Chapter one, verse one, second Peter. Simon, or depending on your translation, Simeon, Simon Peter, a servant, an apostle of Jesus Christ. If you can remember back to 1 Peter, Peter introduces his first letter when he's a little bit younger, he introduces it this way. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Peter is his nickname given to him by Jesus. Peter literally means Rocky. So that epistle opens by saying, Rocky the apostle. His real name is this Simon or Simeon. 
Simeon doesn't mean rocky, it means unstable or shifty. So the first one, it's, hey, Rocky the apostle. Now it's Shifty the slave. What a massive difference, huh? Because he's a little bit older. I think what's supposed to happen to normal human beings is as you begin to age and as you grow and as you get some years behind you, you start to realize you're not as great as you thought you were when you were four years old, right? I used to be, hey, I'm senior pastor. Now it's, actually, I'd be better just taking out the trash. That's what I'm actually better at. That's supposed to happen to all of us. It happened to Peter right here. He went from, ah, look at me, to shifty. Shifty, mm, the slave. I used to believe when I got married, I used to believe, man, I am a catch. (laughs) Now I think, well, if I'm a catch, it's probably the flu at best. So that's probably what I am. And I think that's healthy. That all of us can feel the Simon in us, right? The, the shiftiness in us, the ah. Uh. It's why when you go out for your first date, you don't have them pick you up at your house, right? Because they'll see your deck that still has some unfinished projects on it and the tape that's still around the window where you meant to take it off and, and it's just cluttery and ah. Uh. So you meet at a restaurant where they're not serving something like spaghetti because you always get that on your clothes. So you go somewhere safe with good food like Burger King and you eat there. Because deep down, here's the thing, deep down, all of us know this. We have a choice. You can either be loved or known, but not both. Because if people really knew our shiftiness and our instability and our lacks and our failures, they would not love us. They'd reject us. So we always have this PR campaign going that's putting out the right kind of image putting out the right kind of things that we want people to think about us. We're always doing that, right? Not Peter. He did it, first Peter. Now he's like, nah, I'm shifty, a slave. That's what I am. And guess what? He's set free from that. When you get to this point in your life where you're not worried about that PR campaign, where you're okay with who you are, where you're comfortable in your own skin, guess what happens? You're set free. You can't be offended anymore. You take things a lot less seriously and you just simply enjoy life. That's what happens to you. So what happened in Simon Peter's life that allowed him to get to the point where he's just like, meh, this is who I am. I'm unstable. I should be taken out the trash. That's what I am. What happened that changed him, that gave him this superpower of, huh, I'm bulletproof now. It's this next little phrase. Look at this. To those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours. You get the same thing as me, Peter's saying. By the righteousness of our God and Savior, Christ Jesus. Brilliant. That little word obtained in the Greek, which is the original language of the New Testament, That little word obtained, it's the Greek word lakasin. It literally means by lot, like you would cast lots. That's the word here. So when you hear that word lot, what does your mind think of? The lottery, right? That's what I think of. Oh, the lottery. Anybody here want to win the lottery? I want you to win the lottery because then we'll give you a tithe envelope. 
There you go. <laughs> right? Here's what Peter's saying. He's saying, look it, you have won the lottery. And you didn't win it because you were good enough or smart enough or rocky enough or you overcame or God looked down and says, I gotta have that dude on my team. You won it by faith in King Jesus as God and Savior. And that's how you win this lottery. Not by your ability, not by how smart you are, not by your opportunities. You win it by faith in King Jesus as God and Savior. How brilliant is that? Now, if you won the lottery, what's your first question? How much? How much? After taxes, how much am I taking home? Well, that should be our question right here. If we've obtained this thing, what did we win? If we've won and you have, by your faith in King Jesus as God and Savior, if you've won that, you better ask, well, what did we win? So check this out. Let's just read ahead. Verse two. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that's in the world because of sinful desires. When I read through this, I just started writing out what I want. And I came up with a list of six things, six things that every person in here who by faith in King Jesus as God and Savior has been given. So let's look at this list. Number one, you're given righteousness, verse one. You know yourself. You know how you feel. You know if you're shifty and unstable. You know all that. But, but, by faith in King Jesus, as God and Savior, something happens. You might feel like damaged goods. You might feel like you've always been overlooked. You might feel like you're last picked on every team. But by faith in King Jesus, as God and Savior, here's what happens. You get his grades. You get his work. You become as right as Jesus. And there's been no one righter than Jesus. You get his grades. And you don't work to earn it. It's lottery. It's been given to you. And since you did not earn it, here's what the Bible makes clear. You cannot lose it. This is brilliant. This is the beginning of why Peter's like, well, why do I care what you think of me? I've been made righteous. I've been forgiven. I've been accepted. I'm part of the beloved. I'm as righteous as Jesus that when God looks at me, what he sees is the A pluses of his son. Every person in here who put their faith in King Jesus as God and Savior, you are now in this moment as righteous as Jesus. 
Let that sink in. That makes you bulletproof. Righteousness, number one. Number two, you've been given life. Verse two, excuse me, verse three. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life. Have you ever thought about why you're alive? Like, I'm on a physics kick right now. It was my favorite subject in high school. If you could take apart all your atoms, right? You'd have, like, have a little pile of potassium, little pile of calcium, a uh, pile of carbon, and a bucket of water. And none of it's alive. You know that, right? Atoms aren't alive. They're just piles of stuff. And then all of your carbon and all of your potassium and all of your calcium and all of your water, it's recycled. Somebody else used it at some point and you're reusing it. Like, here's how crazy this is. Every time you take a breath of air right now, you are breathing in a molecule of air that Jesus breathed in his 33 years. Every breath. How crazy is that, right? But here's what's really interesting. Your combination of, of atoms of carbon and potassium and, and water is unique. There's no one that has your same makeup of those same atoms. That, there's no one that ever will have that same makeup. It's totally unique. But why? These non-living entities, why do we have life like that? The Bible says it's a gift from God. But life, as it speaks of right here, is more than just your heart beating. Life is the way that you live, a flourishing, a thriving, a bigness, a joy. Uh, that, that's what it is. It, it's more than just that. It's seed time. It's harvest. It's laughter. It's navigating with dexterity what today, this week, this month, this year is gonna bring to you. That's life. And it says that God's divine power has given you life. Not just to survive, but to thrive. And so next week, we're gonna look at this life that's been given to us. It says supplement it. There's like vitamins that you can take that help you live better, and that's next week. But you've been given life. You've been given life. And number three, godliness. You can just think of godliness as this, living a life that pleases God. That's what godliness is. That the way that you make decisions, the way that you treat people, the way that you carry yourself, it's pleasing to God. Notice it says his divine power has granted. What tense is that? Past tense, right? It means this has already happened to you. That if you put your faith in King Jesus as God and Savior, this has happened to you. And it says, has granted to us all things. What does all things contain? That's a lot of stuff right there. Right? So godliness has been granted to you. When you have put your faith in King Jesus as God and Savior, you become like Dorothy from The Wizard of Oz. Remember that movie? Right? 
tornado swoops her up in her house and plants her in Oz and she lands on the wicked witch of the east and her shoes are sticking out. So the fairy godmother shows up and pulls off the shoes magically and puts them on Dorothy's feet. And then she has to go through this really, really bad set of circumstances, right? Flying monkeys steal her dog, Toto. Like I still have nightmares about that. Brutal. Her, her whole goal is to get to the Wizard of Oz, who turns out to be a giant fraud, actually a tiny fraud. So she's there and she's hopeless. She's like, oh no, I'm never gonna go home. And then the fairy godmother shows up and it's like, oh, all you have to do is click your magic shoes together and say, I wanna go home. I hated that movie. <laughs> How wicked is that woman? She had the shoes on, why didn't she say right away, oh, by the way, if you just wanna go home and skip all that misery, click your shoes and go home. Like she is not a fairy godmother, she is a wicked stepmother. That's what that lady is. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you're given the shoes. That faith is not getting more stuff. Faith is discovering what you've already been given the moment you put your trust in King Jesus as God and Savior. That's what this thing is. It's not, oh, I gotta discover some new secret. Huh, it's already there. Well, Matt, it doesn't feel like I'm living it. Okay, number four, promises by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. God's promises. Well, Matt, I'll be honest with you. God's promises don't move me. If God's promises don't move me, then I don't know God. If God's promises don't move me, if I don't read this and be like, oh my goodness, that is such good news. If God's promises don't move me, it's because I don't know God. Here's my best illustration of this, and I borrowed this. Wednesday nights, when we used to do them over at Fruitdale, my kids were a lot smaller. There were times that they would come up and they'd wanna go like to ice cream afterwards and say, like, dad, dad, couldn't we go to ice cream after church? And I'd give the typical dad answers. Well, let me think about that. It's like, oh, they hate those answers. Let me, uh, we'll see, right? That's another good one. Or um, let me pray about that, pious. <laughs> the worst answer was, mm, let me ask your mom. Because moms know this, children plus sugar equal insomnia. And we're not doing that tonight. They're going to sleep, right? So if I said to my kids, yes, let's go to ice cream. They might then say, dad, do you? Promise. And if I say, I promise, guess what happened to my kids? Joy, right? They weren't eating ice cream yet. What did they have joy over? The promise. They knew I had the ability. They knew I had a vehicle. They knew I had money. And they knew I had the willingness. And because of those things, they said, joy. They could almost taste the McDonald's soft scream right, right then, right? Soft scream? Yeah, that's a great name for it. The promise changed their present because they know me. That's what's supposed to happen to the believer. As you know God, his promises change your present because you know he's been faithful. You know he's kept your promises. And the Bible says this. It's 2 Corinthians 1.20. 
all the promises of God are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. Every promise you can find in scripture, it's yes and amen, amen in Jesus Christ. That because you have put your faith in King Jesus as God and Savior, every promise in this book is now yes and amen. Amen just simply means so be it. Yes and so be it. That's what you've won. And you've also won, it says, his divine nature. His divine nature. When you put your faith in Jesus, here's what happens to you. It's Ezekiel 36. Old hearts pulled out, new hearts given to you, and a new spirit is given to you. You get a brand new nature. And that new nature begins to seep out of you. So a bunch of years ago, we got two little ducks as pets, and they are the coolest little pet because they imprint on you. And so they'll, they would imprint on my kids and then my kids would walk around and they would follow them around the yard. They're so cool. So the, the ducks were going a little bit bigger and Elijah wanted to see if they could swim. And he's like, dad, I wanna see if the ducks can swim. I'm like, oh yeah, they can swim. And he said, well, don't we have to teach them how to swim? I'm like, oh no. Well, how do they know how to swim? I said, cause they're a duck. It's their nature. He's like, well, let's do it. So we walk down to our little pond and the little ducks are following Elijah and they get down to the pond. The moment they see the water, they jump in and they're swimming all over the place. Like it's the most hilarious thing. If you've never seen a duck, the first time a duck ever swims, it is awesome. Like they're just going insane. And then up next to us came, we had these two goats back then. These two goats came right next to us and they're watching this. They thought it was pretty cool too. They're like, that's cool. And then Elijah, he's only like four years old. He looks at the goats and he looks at me and he goes, dad, can we push the goats in? <laughs> Here's what was so crazy. I was thinking the exact same thing. I was like, I wonder if a goat can swim. <laughs> Cause we're the same nature, it just comes out. That's what happens. That's what's supposed to happen. You get a new nature and it just begins to come out of you. So in high school, I did not follow Jesus. And I had these people that would try to invite me to their youth groups, like at Parkway or Foursquare or River Valley. And I'd be like, why, man? And they say, because it's so fun. I'm like, what are you doing that's fun there? Is there motorcycles? Are there girls? Are there parties? Like, what's so fun? And they'd be like, no, we study the Bible and we pray and we sing. I said, you gotta get a new fun list because that's not fun. And then in my 20s, I rededicated my life to the Lord. And guess what? All I wanna do is study the Bible and pray and sing songs. Like my friends thought I was nuts. Like I worked at Fred Meyer going to college to save money so I could go to this conference in Portland to study the Bible. They're like, well, you are insane. I'm like, but it's fun. What happened? New nature, changed nature. Like it's not, I'm not fighting Friday night like, how do you want to go so bad and get drunk and pass out and get a new tattoo and end up in Tijuana? I'm not like fighting that urge anymore. I'm like, I don't want any part of that. That's insane. You're stupid. What happened? New nature. Partook in a new nature. And it transformed me, right? And, and we will look at how we partner with that next week. It, that's what Peter does. He's just like, let me help you on this way, right? So you've got 
righteousness and life and godliness and promise and divine nature. And then lastly, you get freedom. We have escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Have you noticed there's a lot of corruption around? Corrupt relationships, corrupt businesses, corrupt politics, corrupt marriages, right? A lot of corruption is around. And it spawns this stuff in us, anxiety and stress and anger. It's just a bad system. Do you wanna escape from that? And I do. So how do we do it? Here's what it says. Having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of, here's the cause of it. Here's what causes corruption and all that stuff. Because of sinful desire. Now, I think that's a terrible translation of this word. It's one of my favorite words. It's a Greek word. Greek is the original language of the New Testament. And this word for sinful desire, it's the word epithumia. Epithumia is not sinful. It's not harmatia. There's all kinds of words that Peter could have chosen that talk about sin. He doesn't. He uses this word epithumia. Epithumia is real simple. Epi means over. Thumo is where we get our word thermos. It's overheated. Corruption happens, why? Because something in your life goes into overdrive. It becomes overheated. And when that happens, look out. It will run you into the ground, right? If you're new here, this might be new to you. If not, this is a review. But I can give you examples, right? This is not talking about sin. It's talking about good things in your life that get elevated to the wrong spot in your life and they no longer serve you, they master you and they torture you. I'll give you some examples. Food, good or bad? Yes, thank you, you guys know my tricks. Yes, right? You gotta eat, you've got, absolutely. But can food get in the wrong position in people's lives? Yeah, gluttony, bulimia, and anorexia, right, cause all kinds of problems. Food can become the place that we search for comfort. So something bad happens at work and you go home and you scarf down half a baby loaf abandoned cheddar cheese. That's not good. Nothing good will come of that, right? So yeah, like that's an overdrive. It's a good thing in the wrong spot. Physical intimacy, is that good or bad? Quantum entanglement, good or bad? Yes, right? It's a gift from God. It was God's idea. Genesis 1:28. be fruitful and multiply. The reason you guys are here is because your parents were fruitful and multiplied, okay? Good thing. Can physical intimacy go into overdrive and cause problems? Oh my. This good gift given to us by God can be abused and cause all kinds of problems in people's lives. So yeah, fun. Is fun good or bad? Yeah, I think God has fun. I think the Bible is fun. I think there's funny things in the Bible. When Elijah is facing off with the 450 prophets of Baal and they're screaming and yelling and trying to get Baal's attention, Elijah mocks them and says, I think he's in the bathroom. That's funny, okay? 
That's funny. There's tons of that in the Bible. Fun is a good thing. God has fun. God wants us to have fun. God invented laughter. We're the only creatures that laugh. Ah, that's awesome. Can fun though become overdrive? Oh yeah, people that tell me I live for the weekend. I'm like, why? What a ridiculous way to live. You're wasting five days of your week. I love every day, man. People live for the weekend, they're like, ah! And then Monday comes around, it's past the Prozac because I gotta make it through this week. What a bummer. All right, good thing, wrong spot. Comfort, is anything wrong with being comfortable? No, memory foam is a gift from God, directly from heaven. It's what we will sleep on up there, okay? Heated seats are God's grace, right? A leather heated seat is the most amazing gift an engineer has ever given to humans. Thank you. Can comfort become overdrive? Well, absolutely. And then it hinders what God wants you to do. No, that'll make me uncomfortable. Well, hard's not bad. It's one of my sayings. Sometimes hard things are the best thing in the world for you. It's how you grow up and become something, right? Safety, is it wrong to be safe? No, it's a good thing to be safe. Can I get out of control? Absolutely. Where people won't do what God has them. I can't go on the mission field because that might be unsafe. I can't be hospitable because that might be unsafe. I can't volunteer. Can't. What? Who's your God? Are you kidding me, right? Looking good. Any problem with looking good? No, thank you guys for your attempt at looking good. Some of you succeeded, others, A for effort. Keep up the good work. Can looking good become an overdrive? Oh man, gets chaotic and dominates you. Parenting, good or bad? Right? Uh, hard. <laughs> How about, is there another term? <laughs> Can it get out of control? Yeah, I had a mom who said this. If my son did that, it would ruin me. I just say, you've given your son way too much power over you. That, that your son should not have that power over you. Dads with their boys in athletics. God help us if they don't become a professional athlete. Like, are you kidding? Right? You've got these guys just going insane for peewee football. Right? The Duck Scouts might be here. Like, you are insane. Right? It's why coaches quit coaching. Not because they don't like the kids. They love the kids. They can't stand the parents. So a couple of years ago for soccer, um, we had sent home this, this form that every family had to sign. It was like, I will not coach from the sideline. I will not yell at the coaches. I will not yell at the refs. I will not yell at the other players. I won't fight and throw fits. I had my wife sign it because I was not going to sign it. <laughs> I'm keeping my integrity, right? When I do that, I never signed it. She did. <laughs> Listen, I can go on and on and on and on. That's epithemias. That's epithemias. When they get in the wrong spot, they destroy the good things God wants for you. Right? Everything serves it then. It becomes master. If money is your God, is money a problem? No. What's the problem? The love of money, the epithumia of money. And when it's all about money, guess what? You look at everything you do, how can I make money for my God? How can it serve my God? You look at people that way, you look at opportunities that way, you look at church that way, everything serves your God then. If pleasure goes into overdrive, you look at every person as how can they bring me pleasure? It goes into overdrive. And it's no longer your servant, it's your master. So how do you get rid of this? That's what Peter's saying. Every one of those things, when we elevate that up, food or reputation or looks, what we're really saying is, if I had this, 
it would save me. It would make life worth living. That's what you're really doing. You're elevating it up and you're substituting it as a new savior. And so Peter's whole argument is, no. You put your faith in King Jesus as God and savior. You've already won. And when you do that, here's what happens to you. You can enjoy all those other things. You're not trying to squeeze something out of them that will only corrupt it and ruin you because you've already won. And then those things just, I enjoy parenting. My kids don't represent me. Yeah, you know, I want them to do good, but at the end of the day, they're their own person and okay. Money, yeah, it's a great servant, terrible master. You get to enjoy it. Life becomes so much enjoyable. It's Augustine who 1,700 years ago said, your life will be restless until you find your rest in him. You'll be squeezing everything until you find the one thing. That's what this is all about. You've won, why? Because your faith in King Jesus as God and Savior, and that sets your heart at rest, and you enjoy everything else. And life is brilliant and beautiful then. And then he gives us how to supplement that. It's why every Sunday we take the bread and the cup. Because it's a reminder there's one king and one savior. And we are, if you would, reenacting the Last Supper, saying in our hearts once again, You're our savior, you're the author of life, you're the one that brings righteousness. You are the one that brings the promises. You are the one that brings freedom. It's you. And that's why it's so important that we remind ourselves of that because every single day, something is screaming for our attention. I'll be life, but it lies. So Jesus, today as we partake, I pray that you would give us the power by your spirit to know the truth and to be set free. That if we have elevated something in our lives as a substitute savior thinking it will bring us life and godliness and righteousness and freedom, I pray that today we would cast those idols down and that we'd be cured by your power. And that we could take those things back up and enjoy them, not being mastered by them anymore. So I pray that we'd eat of faith in you as King and God and Savior. Let's eat together. We hold the cup. even though we feel like an unstable servant, you would look at us like you looked at Peter and say, you're gonna be a rock. That your hopes and your plans for us are greater than we can even imagine. You want us to rule and to reign with you for eternity. And you said you would not drink of this cup again until the kingdom 
And so I pray as we drink, we would drink in anticipation of the coming kingdom. We will stand shoulder to shoulder with our brothers and sisters and with you as the high king, ruling and reigning over the cosmos in ways that we can't even imagine. Eye has not seen and ear has not heard the wonderful things that you have in store for those that love you. So may we drink hope, expectation, anticipation. Let's drink together. Amen. So you know this, after every service, we offer prayer right up here. We'd love to partner with you. God's the God of Newtonian physics, the giant stuff, and he's the God of the tiny stuff. It doesn't matter what your need is. The Bible says, cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. And we'd love to partner with you in that way. Come receive prayer. We also baptize. Baptism doesn't save you. Faith in King Jesus as God and Savior saves you. But when you get baptized, you're declaring to the seen and unseen realm, I'm part of Team Jesus. And for me and for many of us, that was a momentous moment that something happens inside your soul that transforms you. So if you, today is your day, and we'd love to partake and that incredible opportunity to see you baptized. If you're doing well, be grateful. Look at this, be grateful. Love people, help people, be kind. Be an example of the believer. Would you stand for one final song?